yeah. we were putting a proposal together for a pop top um, and neither of us had a pop top in our portfolio. You know, I'm showing student work, you know, and it looked good. First thing, we showed it to his wife. The first thing she says is, okay, well, you guys look a little green here. Uh, here we go. Hi. Hello. 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 Hello, and welcome to Architecting. This is a podcast about the lives of architects. About the people and stories behind the buildings that we see around us and the images that brought them to life. And with the very international world that we live in. This show will purposefully be local and narrow. Only focusing on the Colorado community of designers. Hi, I'm Adam Wagner. I'm the host of this show. I'm an architect who's worked for a dozen different firms in three different countries, but for the last five years I've been rooted in Denver, Colorado, where I'm at Open Studio Architecture and I teach at the University of Colorado, Denver. I like connecting with other designers and learning from their experiences, so now I'm broadcasting these conversations with the goal of creating a stronger local community here in Colorado. Hey, so today on the show, we have Adam Steinbach and Jim Pfeiffer, founders of Unim Collaborative. I had heard about Adam through Brandon Anderson and knew that he had founded Unim, but I didn't know about Jim. Um, so so early on, I reached out to Adam and, and asked him to join the show. He said yes, but only if Jim uh, would be able to join as well. So he wrote back to me that, that he didn't want the firm to be just about himself, about one person. And he said, and I quote, I'd like to stress the collaborative approach that our firm takes, and that starts with our partnership. And, and yes, I was very happy to have, have Jim on uh, and see these, these two together kind of riffing. Um, this was a fun conversation for me with two guys uh, who you can tell work well together and have known each other for a while. And, and are really creating some fantastic work along with uh, the other members of their, of their firm. So their firm, Unam, which is now four years old, has been crafting interior spaces for restaurants, markets, bars, and other retail that have really been making an impact on our Denver fabric and, and gaining praise and attention for themselves and their clients. Uh, beyond these interiors, they are now branching into uh, residential projects and resort projects and have created two uh, side companies, Unam Home and Unam Shop, which are really kind of diversifying the, the typical business model of an architecture firm. And after the credits, this episode also includes our extended conversation where they uh, reveal what they were actually drinking in their coffee cups and uh, we go into some other stories about the the struggles of of our profession um, and design in general, and they they talk about how to uh, bend PVC pipe with with hot water. So, anyways, I I hope you enjoy. So our goal at Architecting is to help connect Colorado designers, and nobody is already doing this better than Modern in Denver. For over a decade, Modern in Denver has been striving to bring architects together and to educate the public about what good design can be and can accomplish. I'm very excited to be working together with them now on this shared goal. So over the years, they have constantly created fantastically curated stories about Colorado designers and projects. 
and work to connect the profession with live local events. So go out now, buy a copy of their new print issue, subscribe to their weekly email list, and follow them on Instagram. So where, yeah, what's what's your space look like? Where are you, where are you guys at? I guess I don't, yeah, you don't want to like rotate it around right now. <laughs> oh, uh, well, this is the pretty wall, so this is what you see. Um, we have a we have an office. It, it's basically um, Colfax and Lafayette. So if you know where um, Hoodoo Donuts is, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're about a block and a half away from there. Yeah. Um, it's a it's actually a pretty cool building. It's a 1907, I think it was constructed, and um, it was originally residential. So it was you know all the layouts are kind of these compact sort of residential units, and then it was converted to offices. Yeah, a couple um, 20, 25 years ago. And then now they're actually in the process of converting back to residential. So it's this really cool <laughs> sort of environment where we have some live work spaces and some office spaces. Yeah, they're renovating everything now. It's going to look good again. But inside, as soon as you walk off the street, it's, you know, courtyards and ramps and stairways. It's, it's a pretty cool space. Yeah. Hmm. Nice. Glad to finally get you guys on here. This, this is good. Yeah. Yeah, we were just talking. We we're... Um, big fans of what you're doing. I mean, I mm. think, I think, you know, the, the, the conversations that I think I've listened to almost everyone so oh. far and, and it's really interesting to hear, you know, one, we're honored to be, you know, asked to join in, in the conversation, but two, I, I think it's just been great to listen to some people that we have followed or, or, you know, admired their work and to hear sort of their backstory and never really know, you know, everybody kind of runs in similar circles, but um, it's nice to kind of hear their stories in a way that you would never get, you know, um, just yeah. meeting them. So. And hearing, you know, hopes and dreams and fears <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it turns out to be a lot of the same things. <laughs> yeah. About. So it's nice to hear other people's perspective on it. Yeah, so. Yeah, I agree. It's been, it's been fun just to, especially to connect now, you know, like when everything can feel so disconnected and um, yeah, but it, it's funny that thing of like, especially having your own firm right it's just everything is it kind of unknown in a certain way in different degrees right and it's and you look up at certain people and you're like yeah they they got it figured out or like they you know they had to know and it's like nope they didn't know either and uh, it, we should get like a better manual of like this is this is everything you need to know but uh no in a while one comes out and i, I try to go through it i'm like this is yeah. awesome yeah, I've already, I've already screwed this up. <laughs> yeah, you guys, because what you, you you're coming up on a anniversary, right? Or you're right at an anniversary? Actually, yeah, it's two a week and a half from now. Yeah, it'll yeah. be uh, four, four, four years. years. It'll be four years since we formed the LLC, and um, I mean, you know, kind of how things work. You, you kind of form some things while you're working on other things, and and. Um, so the, the LLC anniversary is, is in a week or so. And then um, I was able to leave full-time the following September. And then Jim left full-time about a month. Yeah. yeah, a month after that. Hmm. Nice. So, yeah, it's been, a, it's been kind of a crazy ride so far in the last four years. Yeah, um, yeah we actually ended up, our first office was, uh, you know, because you always feel like you need office space or you need some sort of shingle to hang or something. And, and well, two years ago, you did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. Um, 
but we were in the back of this little plant store. So it was this little like co-op space where there was, you know, a contractor slash uh, sculptor artist, artist yeah. um, and a in the front was like a plant store slash small little coffee cart thing. And uh, so we would sit back there and. It was just, it was great because we'd be sitting there trying to, you know, meet with clients or going through a charrette or something like that. And then people would just be walking around looking at plants and then <laughs> entering into our charrette space or like into the screen or whatever. And, you know, it's not bad to have an audience. You get a few reps that way. And, yeah. Well, and it's, it's probably a lot better than just being, being in your bedroom by yourself, right? And, you know, and never getting that interaction. At least you're, yeah getting some foot traffic but I've been from this like for us I mean I don't mind working from home but it, it's about kind of taking yourself out of that environment and putting yourself in sort of that mode um I like to kind of clear my space to to get to get focused on the things in front of me so I, I can't work well from home so the yeah. pandemic wasn't wasn't great for me yeah I've never been a work from home person either I need to have two separate spaces to go to and you know, just set up a, a mindset for one space versus the other. Um, my home often becomes a construction zone now, so <laughs> I end up taking on some of the projects. So having an office to get away from all that does help as well. Yeah, that's nice. Kind of leading into that, do you, are you guys able, I'm still figuring out this like uh, joint person thing, but what what's, what would be your like two, two line bio? Like how would you explain yourself, especially as a team or as a firm? So you want that as a team or you want let's, that as let's, let's do it as a team. I, I want to see, I want to see, well, or maybe each one and, and how does it overlap? Well, I think, I think we're, man, I don't want to sound too like ethereal about this, but I feel like conceptual explorers hmm. is kind of what we, cause Adam and I were talking a little bit about what, you know, what to talk about here and, and, you know, where, where are we trying to go and what, what defines us? And I do think that a lot of the things that, we see carry from project to project is not necessarily a thesis or an aesthetic or anything like that. It's more of a, a process and it's a process of exploration. Hmm. Um, so I think each project kind of comes along with, uh, with concepts to, to be found and concepts to be explored. Um, and I think that's what we see as a, a successful project is, is sort of that execution of exploration. So I don't know. I mean, yes, we're two sentences, and now I got well, no, 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 no. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think so, you know, so Unum Collaborative was sort of based on this foundation of, of architecture first, but we've, we've really sort of spread into some other avenues of design and, and development and construction yeah. and sort of, and I think it's really wherever our interests have started to lie and, and, you know, those trajectories, we've been able to sort of follow them, which I think has been interesting. But um, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's, I mean, Jim and I, I don't know if you want to go into history or what you want to. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I, I am. So where, where did you guys, maybe say like, where'd you guys meet up? So how, how'd you guys meet? Yeah, that's a good story. Yeah. So um, we were, we're both from the East Coast. We're both from Philadelphia. Hmm. Well, we both grew up a little bit north of Philly in like the, the suburbs and the rural areas of Pennsylvania. But um, we met at our first job out of college, which was actually right across the bridge in New Jersey. Um, but yeah, we we became fast friends, you know, working that job. And then we, we ended up roommate roommating together uh, in a place in Maniunk in Philadelphia. Um, and I guess, you know, kind of came came from there separately, but but nearly at the same time. Um, I ended up 
uh, getting married in 2008 and I moved here uh, in 2010. Um, and then you came in, in 2011 to finish up your, uh, your graduate degree. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we met first job out of college and that's, we added uh, 16 years ago now. So we've known each other a long time and uh, really only worked with each other for about a year or less than a year yeah. at that firm. Um, what, what, what firm was that? So the firm is called Interarch. It's kind of a small commercial firm uh, outside of, outside of uh, Philadelphia. Um, it's very interiors based, very um, like prototype driven. So we did a lot of restaurants, banks, things like that. A lot of interior architecture. Um, and he left for a larger firm. And, and then I was there for four or five years. And then um, when 2008, 2009 happened, we went from a firm of 65 and I think I was the 12th person left hmm. and, uh, they were fortunate enough to kind of give me a, an out and tell me, Hey, I got six months. And that was sort of my, my, I always knew I wanted to go back to graduate school. So kind of the writing on the wall and, and started applying and, um, Jim had moved out to Denver about a year before that. And we always stayed in contact and kind of visited Denver and fell in love and, yeah, been out here ever since. I was yeah. 2010, 11 now. So yeah, um, but, sorry about. That. Yeah, so that's interesting. So like both growing up around Philadelphia, and let's see, Adam, you went to to Lehigh, is that right? And so, and and, and Jim, where did you go? You went to uh, Philadelphia University, which actually changed its name recently to Thomas Jefferson. Uh, so so what was that choice like for both of you? I mean, you know, there's a lot of schools around there, right? Uh, what what kind of challenged you there? Or? Yeah, well, for me, I mean, I, I was really interested in a five-year accredited degree. Um, so I have a B-ARC, um, not an M-ARC. So, you know, there was five schools in Pennsylvania that, that carried that. And Philadelphia University, uh, I mean, it was really just, it was a program being in Philadelphia, uh, getting accepted, and then the cost versus some of the other bigger schools that, that you know, carried significantly more costs. But um, but yeah, I was, I was focused on that five-year degree. Was that pretty, a, a pretty kind of standard, I guess, like professional type degree, or did it have kind of niches that you dove into? Uh, as far as like its focus in architecture, it was pretty standard. Um, you know, you spent, uh, about two years, four semesters mixed in with everybody. So it was, uh, architecture and interiors hmm. all in, in, in the same classes and everything. And then, uh, for the last three years, everybody split up. Um, and I, I did have a job throughout just about all of it. I got a job after my freshman year. So summer of my freshman year, um, I met, I met a, somebody whose dad was an architect in Philadelphia and I became an intern there and I, I stayed an intern throughout the rest of my college career. Um, so that sort of, I, not necessarily drove focus, but it, it allowed me to balance reality of architecture with the academics of architecture throughout the whole thing. So in some ways, I think that was helpful. And in other ways, I think it's nice to kind of launch into this career with strictly academics as <laughs> tainted right out of the gate. Huh, interesting. Yeah. You know. Or or at least be able to focus on school a lot better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a lot that's a lot of work. It is. Yeah. And then Adam, how'd you end at Lehigh? What? So it's kind of um it's it's part naivete and part um uh, so lehigh has a had a i don't know if they still do but uh, had a two a dual program five-year engineering and architecture degree um but you know coming out of school 
I actually didn't do enough research to realize that you needed a, a, the accredited degree, you know, and I saw <laughs> architecture and engineering and I figured, oh, that would be great. I'll do that. And that should be good enough, right? Um, so it's funny how many people do that, right? It's yeah, like, yeah. It's really sort of just, but actually I, I'm, I'm pretty happy with the education I got there. I actually dropped engineering about, the, about my second year and kind of did more of a, a minor in art history and philosophy. And, mm. and being a, a more liberal arts school, it, it, I think it lended itself to a little bit more flexibility in programming or flexibility in, in how you structure the, the curriculum. So um, I, was, I, I finished in four and didn't do the engineering. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of how, what led me there. And then what kept me there was just the flexibility of the, of the, the environment. And, um, you know, there were some pretty good professors there. There was, um, I, I did have a, a pretty fortunate opportunity to study under Ivan Zaknik, who is a Corbu scholar. Hmm. Um, and we actually did a, a three month trip to Paris and stayed there in, um, uh, the, the Swiss pavilion, Pavilion Suisse, mm. and stayed in, in the dormitory for, I think, a month and a half there. And, and that was really an interesting sort of experience to, to just immerse yourself in that culture and then to have a, a core of scholars sort of teach you and walk through all the, all the history of Paris and, and, you know, modernism at that time. So, um, but yeah, that was kind mm. of my trajectory there. Do you, do you feel like you... Philadelphia imprinted something on you too that is unique from like other Denver architects you know like is there something that you can kind of identify or, or that influenced both of you maybe well it's funny because I mean there's the the tangible physical part of it and then there's the intangible like attitude of being mm -hmm. in the east coast mm -hmm. I do think you know that was a big hurdle for us I think both Jim and I are type a personalities and we are you know, entrepreneurial and spirit. And I think when we moved here, um, while I, I appreciate and have grown to love the, the culture here and the atmosphere, you know, the, the sort of collective calmness of people, at the same time, I feel like our drive is, is still there. Um, yeah. And that's something that was inherent, I think, or, or from that upbringing. Yeah, I think so too. I would agree, you know, the pace of life in Philadelphia is, and I, I think that's actually, uh, changed a bit over the last five or six years as Denver's really started to grow. I think the culture here has really started to become more of a mix of a lot of the different places that people are coming from. So it's become more West Coast, become more Chicago, more Texas, and more East Coast. Um, but, you know, when we first moved here, um, I, and my wife and I moved here um, in 2010, really because we wanted to leave Philadelphia. We wanted to get a change of, of scenery, a change of pace, um, and we used to do through college and, and, uh, early years of being married, we used to do road trips as our vacations and we just get in the car and start driving West. And we felt like when we got here, that was when we were on vacation. So, um, we, we decided, that's why we decided to move here was really to, to kind of just enjoy life a little bit more. So we were certainly looking for that change of pace, but I do think we carried the, um, that inherent drive uh, through us, through with our throughout our careers since we've moved here. So, hmm. yeah, and I guess to speak to the other side of that is is, you know, I, I think with you know a city like New York or Boston or Philadelphia that are so sort of ingrained, the urbanity is ingrained in this history, that Denver, 
doesn't quite have, but I think is, 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 you know, their history is rich, but I think it's, it's still evolving since it is such a, like a newer city, especially in, in this sort of renaissance in the last 20 years or so, mm -hmm. 10 years or so, um, that I think it's pretty interesting to see how, you know, I think when you live in a city that has evolved, like, like Philadelphia had, where it's, 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 you know, holding onto these buildings or adaptive reuse of some of these older buildings, Denver is now, I think, looking towards that, where I think in the 80s and stuff, it was a little bit more, you know, scrape and build, scrape and build, where here, I think you're, you're paying attention to a little bit more of, of, you know, recognizing the importance of maintaining some of that, that, that history and, and that, um, you know, that, that street experience. So I, I think that's something that I think I took for granted growing up in Philly, you yeah. know, and even in my, the town that we, that I grew up in, my, it was a small town, but um, had this sort of typical East Coast core town center. Um, so, you know, that, that I think is something that I certainly influences how we approach projects in, in a way. Um, most of our projects up until probably this year have been focused in more urban environments, you know, whether they be yeah. tenant improvements or, you know, urban lots, infills or something like that. Um, so I think that that certainly has an influence. Yeah, I can see that. So Jim, then did, you moved here and you, you called up Adam and you said, hey, you got to get out here. They, they even have a grad school. Come try it out. <laughs> what, what, what happened there? What was And what was that path like of like deciding on a grad school? Like you, you didn't have much of, a, of an idea with undergrad of what to do, but then grad school, right? You, you have a little bit more perspective. So what yeah, was that so position like? Um, I was 27 and jobless. So... Uh, <laughs> No, I think, I think for me, you know, I, I actually applied to a couple of different schools and got into some decent schools. And I, um, I didn't, I didn't want to stay on the East Coast. I think I knew I wanted to travel and, and sort of explore since I did my undergrad. I grew up there. I, I, I knew I kind of wanted to move West. I just wasn't sure how far West. Um, and it came down to going to California, Arizona, Portland, or um here and i uh one of the last trips was to, to visit him and kind of take a look at the school and i think one of the things that having worked for five years you know having that break from undergrad to graduate school and not having to just make that jump it gives you a little bit more of an appreciation of what you're trying to do i think you have a little bit more autonomy about what you're looking for and i i kind of knew that wherever i went it was more important that the city and that, you know, I was, it gave me an offering of, of you know, everything I kind of wanted personally, and that the, the, I guess, academic environment was sort of secondary to it. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, not, that's not saying anything. I think my, my experience at UCD was phenomenal. I mean, actually, two of my professors you've already interviewed, and I think you should probably interview another one, but. Um, which, which two were those? That... Uh, so my first studio instructors were, Brad Tomasek and Christopher Fair mm. when they were still uh, Studio HT. Mm. And then obviously Brandon Anderson um, was one of my, also my, one of my graduate instructors. And then I, I saw you mention something about Clark Tenhouse the other day. Mm. Um, and he was a huge influence on me uh, as one of my instructors as well. And I think that the, you know, the, the pedigree of, of, of instructors at that time, you know, this is 2011, were, were pretty, uh, influential. And I think that, they, they, you know, they're kind of young in their careers at that time and they've really started to blossom further from there. So 
it was kind of an interesting time to be there. Yeah, I agree. I, uh, yeah, Clark is doing some really cool stuff, I think, right now. You get, you get through his book yet? I'm, I'm getting there, you know, it, it's like, I'm, I'm selectively reading per the building type that I I'm working on, you know, and uh, okay. yeah. 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 <laughs> Interesting stuff. I'm hoping he, I think he's got a few in, in construction here or at least in planning. So I'd be interesting to see. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, as far as residential projects are concerned, it's, it's interesting to see the trajectory he's taking, you know, sort of these, I don't want to box it in, but sort of these, you know, uh, Homo influenced with some, you know, urbanism or, or, or regionalism that's sort of influencing into this this collage of of uh, compositions that are pretty interesting. So yeah, I agree. Like really, really like kind of fluid collages. The way that he blends things together and yeah. references and yeah, I think it's really interesting. But uh, so Jim, so when you came here, where where did you start working? Yeah, so uh, when I first came here, so I had a job in Philadelphia at Ballinger, which was a, a decent sized firm. Um, and I was working in healthcare. I was actually mostly working in uh, Manhattan. So I would take the train up there and, and, and work on these hospitals, like, you know, right downtown, which was an amazing experience. Um, my firm, so we got married in 2008. While we were on our honeymoon, we, we started getting some texts and, and emails basically saying that the world was shutting down and everybody's getting laid off and all that. So it was not a great place to come back to after that. Um, but my wife and I both were fortunate enough not to get laid off during that period, but um, we did just spend our savings on the wedding and the honeymoon. So um, we had to lay low for a little while. We had a plan to move out to Denver. Um, we actually came out here in 2006 or seven uh, and kind of looked around and, and just tried to get the lay of the land and, and we had made the decision to do it. Um, but then we, we stuck around back in Philly to get married and, and just, you know, not make everybody travel for that and, and all that stuff. But anyway, um, when we moved out here, my firm Ballinger had started hiring again. So we figured, you know, things are coming back online. Let's go ahead and make this jump. Um, so we, we, we came out here, we didn't have a place to live. We didn't have jobs um basically just packed it up and, and came out here um and I, we actually stayed at the motel six in lakewood which was <laughs> as bad then as it is now I'm sure. um but uh i couldn't find a job for about a year um wow. so i started doing uh construction work um i started with just doing like handyman stuff i did a bathroom um he, he actually helped me with the bathroom i did more, <laughs> i did more harm than um <laughs> And then I, I got hired as a laborer and I was working on a, a, a hospital for an electrician team down in uh, the Springs. Um, but when I finally did get a job, I, I was hired by Clip back when Clip was Clip. Mm -hmm. So I was their first hire after 2008. Um, and yeah, I worked there for a little while. Uh, I worked there for about a year and a half. Um, and then when they got bought out by GKK, I, I left there to go join a startup. Um, so I worked for G squared design, which was a small, uh, it was two cousins that started it. It's, um, it's not, we do, we, we did some design based work, but most of it was pretty functional. Um, so I spent a lot of time working at the, the Lockheed Martin plant and in, in Waterton, um, did a little bit of work with ball. And then we, uh, did the, uh, Riverdale animal shelter, which is the Adams County animal shelter. Um, 
so yeah, it was it was much more functionally based architecture. Um, and frankly, that's that's most of my background is uh, kind of looking at architecture from the the problem solving standpoint. Um, my dad was a carpenter, and I grew mm -hmm. up around construction, and you know that's really what drew me to to architecture as a profession was was that was the construction side and, and the problem solving side. Did you did you leave Cliff when they got bought out just just to kind of avoid that that corporate type structure or just I mean honestly I, I've always been drawn towards startup and entrepreneurial sort of adventures. So uh, these two guys I was I was good friends with the one guy uh, Cody who was also at Cliff and you know, he, he basically said, Hey, I got this side thing with my cousin. Do you want to come and join us? And then I was, you know, I was all in. So it wasn't, I wasn't leaving clip. I was going to G, G squared, uh, at the time, if that makes sense. Um, so yeah, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't afraid of the corporate thing. I wasn't crazy about it, but I do think it's a good way to, to get into some larger projects and kind of get your feet wet on a lot of different aspects of the profession. So I think there is some value to it. If, if you ever, cross paths with one of them yeah yeah but th th that's pretty interesting like the idea that you kind of get on the ground floor of like a startup and like see how they mess up or what they do well and then take take it on to when you start up your own thing and that had to be kind of helpful but yeah yeah i mean i think there was a lot to learn there and and they're good guys they 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 do well um but they do well in very different ways and i think we were interested in doing well um you know i think we were interested in more of the the culturally focused, the, the um, public forward work, as opposed to some of the other things that they were involved in. But yeah, and so, so then uh, Adam did so you... same mistakes. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so then after school, did you go right to to live studio or? Yeah. yeah so um, I was uh, so I I bartended through college and and mm. kind of through graduate school and that actually gave me some of the flexibility to not have to, you know, be scrambling for a job right out of, right out of school. And, and Brandon and I were always pretty close and, and he kind of approached me for, um, you know, he and Tana had started, I think Tana had started a couple of years earlier, but then Brandon was leaving now to, to be more full time on it. And, um, you know, they knew, I knew that they couldn't, you know, they weren't looking for a full-time employee. I wasn't necessarily sure what I wanted to do if I wanted to even stay in Denver or what now that I was graduating. So um, he approached me as, as sort of a, you know, a part-time entry level. And we were uh, working out of coffee shops at that time. We were mobile. Uh, I think we had a, you know, a touchdown desk at a couple of the, the co-working places that aren't there anymore. And, and, um, yeah, I mean, it was it was interesting. I mean, it was great to kind of I love that atmosphere. I love that sort of startup lean atmosphere where, uh, you know, being right hand man kind of right next to him and, and kind of being in every meeting and talking and, and trying to work it out on my own. And he gave me a lot of autonomy to try to, you know, problem solve because there was so much sort of building at that time, meaning internally as the firm was building. So, um, yeah, we did that. And um, I was with Liv for four and a half, five years. So, um, and during that time, it, it fluctuated from, you know, three people to five or six and um, yeah. And yeah, I, I think when, you know, both Jim and I just mentioning, you know, the entrepreneurial spirit, I think both of us, you know, having worked in 
in firms that, you know, we were the first hire and we kind of witnessed the growth firsthand. And then at the same time, working with a team that were, you know, either family or married, you know, that, you know, I think for us, for, for my situation with Liv, it was, it was, you know, I, I, I love my time with them. I, I learned so much with them. They, they really, you know, I consider them both great friends and mentors to me to, to this day. Um, I think it, you just get to that position where, you know, if I was going to do it and I was going to jump, that was the timing was right to do it. Right. And, and I think with Liv, you know, there wasn't, I knew there wasn't really an opportunity to take that next step because I don't think they want, you know, I, I don't think they ever wanted to be larger than they are. And um, for me, you know, I knew I, I kind of, and this happens, right. This happens. I think, yeah. I mean, it probably happened to us at some point, yeah. Um, but yeah, we, we kind of took that leap and I, yeah, so what was it? What was that kind of genesis of the idea? Was it was it always there from the time you guys worked together in on the East Coast? Like you're you're gonna start a firm together, or and, and did it just kind of grow? Or uh, yeah, we we kind of did. I don't even know what the genesis of it was. It's just I think we just kind of talked about it, and in the back of our minds, we always just knew we would do it. Um, and th- what's funny is this is actually the second one we formed together. Yeah, um, <laughs> the first one didn't go anywhere. Um, but right when we moved to Denver, we started one. Um, we had a couple leads, but we didn't, we didn't know any people at the time. And, and it's, it's a good thing we didn't start then. Um, I think we needed, we needed to get the lay of the land a little bit better and, and mature a little bit as, as architects and professionals. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I think we always knew. Was that, was that difference? Like, uh, that maturing was it was it like a technical point of view of, of being an architect or was it like business or just you know what's what kind of makes the difference between the, a successful go at it and a unsuccessful you know i think it's a little bit of both i mean we were we were certainly very green i think we, it was a pop top yeah. we were putting a proposal together mm-hmm. for a pop top um and neither of us had a pop top in our portfolio you know i'm showing student work you know and it looked good First thing we showed it to his wife the first thing she says is okay well you guys look a little green here uh here we go but and it turns out i mean we were we were realistic about the budget the client was not and that's ultimately why i think it it we we, we never got the job but i don't think it ever happened i think we put a, a cost estimate or a rough cost estimate together and the guy didn't think that it would actually cost that much and it it's probably half of what it actually costs oh, yeah. now. <laughs> I think we told him it was going to be 80 grand. 80 grand for a yeah. pop top. Yeah. <laughs> it was so, a big one. Um, there's no way you would get it done for that. But, but yeah. Um, yeah. But I think that's the scenario where it was, it was a little bit of, you know, us swinging for the fences and just seeing if we could get it. And, and ultimately, I think the timing worked out anyways, because I think we would have probably, it, it could have been bad if we would have gotten that job. Um, and I think the experiences that we've had 10 years since then to yeah. kind of bring us to where we are now, um, you know, we wouldn't be where we are if we hadn't have taken that path. So, yeah. And I do think that maturity, I mean, I, I was sitting here trying to think about what specifically you mature on in a, in a decade. And I, it's so many different things. I mean, it's, you know, the way you approach life, I think decade to get decade changes significantly. And I think, you know, there's certainly professional growth. Um, there's personal growth. There's there's understanding how to deal with challenges, um, adapting to how you, you deal with challenges as you grow. Um, so, and then I think, you know, for everything you lose and maybe uh, just 
naivete and, and that like just head down, drive forward kind of attitude you have when you're younger, you gain in, in knowledge and experience and, um, and wisdom really. So, and I'm sure in 10 years from now, we're going to think we were crazy for starting what we did because we'll know that much more, but, but yeah. So what did, what did that second start look like? Was it a, was it a gradual thing of, of leaving firms and, or. It was just as crazy. That's why I was shaking my head. <laughs> Two years later, six months later, I'm going, why, how did we do this? Um, so it, we were doing residential projects. Um, so if we formed the LLC in April, it was really because we were approached to do a, a small residential project, uh, uh, an alteration on a house and, um, we really just did the LLC to kind of cover ourselves. And, and we knew that, you know, neither of our firms were really uh, operating in that typology, you know, and it was sort of this small project that neither of the firms would actually take on. So we, we just kind of used that as, as sort of, I guess, a reason to, to form the, the, the legal entity. And then from there, that one was a, a referral for a larger project, which was a, um, a a garage, a ground up garage. Hmm. And that's when things started to look like, okay, maybe, maybe we should think about, you know, what our exit strategy, if there is one, um, not that the fee was large enough to do that, but that, Hey, we're, we're getting to the scale and scope of projects that might start to become problematic, you know, with our other, um, uh, with our other, you know, positions. So that one, um, that was during the summer of 17. Yep. And then I think, <laughs> I think I quit my job or, or gave notice when we won a, was it Lady Jane? It was Fox and Jane. Fox and Jane. I'm pretty sure. No, I think it was Lady Jane. Fox and Jane we were working on. I quit for Lady Jane. Oh, okay. Safe. Maybe this you is, quit ahead of time. There's, and these are two different things <laughs> with very, very similar names. One is a hair salon <laughs> and one is a, a uh, restaurant. And um, I think, yeah, no, it was, it was Fox and Jane. And I'm pretty sure our fee was under $10,000 and I quit my job. <laughs> I don't know why. I, you know what actually helped? And I, I still drive this car around today. There was a really bad hailstorm uh, in May of 2017. And I got a check from the insurance company for $9,000 and that to start to, like to buy software. <laughs> I still drive around with hail dancing. Uh, not been fixed in four years. That's I use that money as sort of a. I was like, oh, I can pay rent for a few months. I got food, you know. This there wasn't a whole lot of savings in that deep pocket yeah. there. So yeah, um, yeah. That's why I shake my head. I, I there's no good way to enter into it. I think we just sort of. And the one well, and then project, I quit my job for Lady Jane, yeah. which was a, a better fee, but not anywhere near. We we basically just made sure we had the next month covered. Yeah, uh, and that was about it. So, um, but yeah, I mean that it became a springboard for us to show other people that we were serious, and and you know by becoming full time, obviously we had that much more time to dedicate to it. Those projects went really, really well. The clients were awesome. The clients were well connected, and and you know kind of grew from there. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're continued clients today. Um, yeah. Lady Jane, Jake Sophie's who we. You know, I, I had met him and, and worked with him through uh, at Live for Hudson Hill, um, and then he approached us for Lady Jane, and, and we just finished up the Wild uh, about a month ago or so mm -hmm. over across from um, uh, Union Station over there. So 
he's been a huge advocate for us and 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 that's just and that's more than just you know a client relationship he's a great guy and yeah we we really appreciate and that's that's really what i think we've been fortunate enough to have is is these relationships with um you know if you've ever worked in hospitality it's a pretty close-knit group and people um i think they they build on relationships rather than you know financial sort of uh factors so i think they they you know, they want to be able to trust and, and, you know, create a sort of that loyalty before anything else. And I think we've been able to do that. And yeah. Yeah. I think it's so interesting the way people start up, you know, it's like, it's like, there's people like you who actually kind of have work that kind of transitions over to a firm. And then there's like, like the Monteblanos, like had no work for like 300 days. And, <laughs> and, and then, and then like Chris Shears was like, no, you, you could not start a firm without having a project. Like that'd be crazy, you know. Uh, but so that that way of kind of transitioning into the firm, did you did you take time? Did you have time to really kind of plan out the vision of the firm? Like I, I know I know now you have a, a pretty good kind of like value system, you know, on the website at least, where you're talking about kind of advocacy, craft, collaboration, innovation, like. Were, were those things that you were laying out from the beginning or did that whole kind of sense of yourself grow? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think we, I mean, that, that was from the very beginning and, and Adam and I would meet and, and try to kind of build the foundation of what the firm is. And I think that those four values are really, you know, if we were going to form a, a firm, what do we want it to stand for? Like, what do we, what do, why wouldn't we just go work for somebody else? And, and if we're, you know, if this thing's going to be long lasting and successful, um, what do we want that firm to be? And so, that, yeah, I mean, it was a foundational genesis that that thing, that those values came out of. And I think that's a conversation that, you know, is pretty important to kind of set early. Yeah. You, know, you, yeah. you want to kind of set those trajectories early and, and it's something you continue to revisit. And I mean, that actually, that, that kind of leads into, into the name as well, you know, and, and um, you know, I think our first one was Spark, right? Steinbach, Pfeiffer, Architects. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently there's like 12 Sparks, so we couldn't mm. keep But, um, you know, when, when we decided to, to call it Unum, it was, it was purposefully obscure. Like, uh, you know, Unum is, is Latin for one. And, you know, for us, I think it was, it was sort of this idea of being, being removed from us and sole authorship and, mm -hmm. and kind of creating some similar to the way so Snowheda and some of these other firms operate where it's, it's supposed to be bigger or should be bigger than us uh, and kind of takes a life of its own. And um, what I like about Unum is, is just a, uh, it's, you know, not only in its, in its Latin sort of roots and history, but it's, it's both singular and pluralistic at the same time. Mm -hmm. So that this duality of being, you know, about one, so the individual sort of soul on the individual. And then there's this collective or aggregate of many to, to create one, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so that approach, I think, helps sort of define us a little bit. And, and you know, we, we, when we kick off projects, we, we tell that story, we sort of introduce that. And and collectively try to pull not just our team on, but the, you know, the client team, the, the consultant team, the contracting team, and really try to, you know, outline this approach as a collective whole. Um, yeah, so I, I think that's that, between that and the values, that was something that was established really early and, and I think continues to, to guide us a little bit. 
I think so. Hopefully. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, that's, that's a really interesting. Um, just that way of, of developing a firm and a name and, you know, it's so hard to come up with a, a name. Right. But, but that, that hits on a lot of good levels and it, and it seems like also, yeah, that the oneness or the collectiveness, you know, the team that you, you build, like, it seems like you guys have a fantastic team where it's, it seems kind of strange in the way that you're all about the same age or about the same experience. It seems like, at least on the website, it's like, everyone's got about 10 to 15 years and, you know, Amir Abubai is a good friend and, you know, he just joined you guys. And so it seems like you have a very, uh, I guess, core and a kind of experienced team where it's not like an old gray hair and an interns, but like, you know, you're kind of hungry at the same level, maybe. Is that a conscious choice? Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, I don't, I don't know if that's conscious. I think, uh, you know, I think when you see the world, it's, you kind of, it kind of sees you back in the same way. Um, you know, and I, I, I don't know, maybe that's not exactly it, but I, we've, we've gotten really lucky with our, our team. Um, I think right now we're at, we're at eight people total, uh, including Adam and I, and I, I think we've got a team that we can count on, on everyone um, for, for anything and then the very specific things at the same time. And I, I do, I hear what you're saying about the, the same age level and, and everything, but I think we, we probably span, I don't know exactly how old everybody is, but we span a couple decades as far as uh, everybody's age. Um, there's 20, but, there's 20 from, yeah, from youngest to oldest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Amir but, looks really young. Right? He, he does. He's a lot. He's way old. I know. He, <laughs> he's, he's just a spry, spry movie. looking guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But I think, you know, when we, when we make a hire culture is definitely something that we're thinking about and, and we want to make sure that, you know, anybody new is, is bringing something new to the table culturally as well um so uh, you know we're trying to foster an environment of, of exploration and, and really all the core values we just talked about that's that's what we're, we're looking for with our people um so you know maybe that speaks a little bit to the the semi homogeneous uh level of people we've got here but how, how do you guys work together like what what's the kind of roles and division of labor or or not yeah, I mean, that's, that's been changing a lot, even as, I mean, we've added four people this year. So mm -hmm. that, that's changed just in the last year. Um, historically, uh, I'd say in the, in the early years, obviously Jim and I would touch a good part of every project. Um, so I would typically lead the design direction and, and kind of, you know, manifest concept, bring concept through presentation. And typically at around schematic design, there would be a handoff and, and Jim is much more technically oriented. And, and um, so he would kind of control it from, from there on. Um, now that we've, we've grown a little bit, it all kind of depends on project scale type and, and um, timelines. But I mean, we've got some larger projects in here that are, you know, on that two year timeline that, that I think it's all hands on deck, you know, everybody touches it a little bit. Um, and then we've got some smaller projects that, you know, might operate and that, you know, one of us would just be a team lead um, as a project lead. And, and then we have usually two or three people below us on that team. So, yeah. 
Um, we have two interior designers. So, you know, Jim and I are, are architects. Amir is a licensed architect. And then, um, you know, we have Scott, who is Scott and Ilion, who are they're working towards, their working towards it. They're, they're taking their exams. And then we have two interior designers. And then uh, Keith is currently in, in grad school, finishing up his grad school uh, this year. So um, kind of a wide range, but I think all those influences uh, find their way into the projects at some level. So I think that's that's been a pretty important. I mean, I will say COVID's been been difficult. You know, we we found some technology to try to create some of those charrettes and make sure that everybody kind of has an idea of what the firm collectively is working on. Um, but certainly, when everybody was in house, it was a lot more, um, a lot more. I guess. Yeah, it's either that. Easier to have that one that we were after. Yeah, it was a lot more cohesive <laughs> as a as a process. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think again that that idea of one is interesting, but then this kind of entrepreneurial spirit that you guys are talking about, like, like I, I'm really uh, intrigued with you guys and kind of jealous of you guys of the way that you're creating these different companies of like the you know, uh, home and like shop and you know that that idea of the typical fee-for-service architecture model like it seems difficult problematic and like how, how are you able to branch off from that uh was, was that a was that an idea for you in the beginning of of you wanting to kind of get different stream revenue streams or just business going and is it yeah, working <laughs> um, it was an idea yeah. from the beginning i mean we really didn't kick anything off seriously until uh until shop really was like a soft a soft start and it's still kind of, you know, it, it operates, but it's more of a background thing. Um, Unum Home was something that was really born out of last year's hardship. Um, we lost our two biggest projects in the same week last year, hmm. uh, you know, when everything really started shutting down. Um, and we had to come up with something to do. I mean, we had a handful of little projects, but we had, we had a team of people and we needed to figure something out. Um, so we, it started as, as uh, single family, uh, single family residence exploration. And it was really just this idea of, you know, if we didn't have a client and we just had a, a generic site in Denver, what would we do with that site? Um, and so it was more of a deep dive into, uh, single family living. And it was an interesting time to do it because everybody was locked up in their house, um, or apartment or, or wherever they were living. Um, so the examination of, of that building type at that time, I think, was, was very appropriate. Um, and then we were fortunate enough to have a, a contractor partner with us on actually building one of them. Um, and so from that, we, we, you know, the idea of Unum Home came out where there was a, a few different models that, that could be born out of the same general design, uh, just at varying scale. But yeah, and I think... Um... You know that partnership with with um, that contractor and developer was was pretty crucial. I think you know not he was building it for himself and his intent was to to live in there. And then I think two yeah. months or three months out of the ground and and he's getting offers on it. So uh, his wife was pretty upset about it, but he ended up selling it or selling it before it hit market. And that you know that that really spawned that discussion of you know do we have something here that that kind of we were recognizing a market need for, for you know, entry, not necessarily, a little bit above entry level housing, you know, uh, with a little bit higher aesthetic, 
Um, but so it's more simple geometry. Yeah, yeah. More simple, modest forms. And not only that, but the 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 modest forms and that, that simple form is, is really kind of a based out of the the economic needs, right? Is our having background discussions about saying, hey, how can we build this thing efficiently? And you know, build it under a year and, and get it out of the ground and, and have you know multiple multiple offerings as far as materiality and, and finishes, but you know, still stay to this core um, form. And um, you know, that simple gable form is something that I think you know is both efficient to build and uh, has a has a I guess an homage or, or a historic. Ten, you know, ten context that I think is appropriate for for that scale in the neighborhoods that we're putting it in. So there was, you know, a lot of background discussion about what this should look like and and how does that operate from a client facing side, and then on our side, you know, what is our role as the architect to kind of drive some of these decisions and where we can, um, you know, allow flexibility and where we can't, and that's a continued discussion now. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, I, I really appreciate that house just even from the diagrammatic way that you you built it up, right? Of this, like you were looking at the, that that building type, the kind of like farmhouse type. I almost hate saying that now because it has a different kind of connotation, but but and then how you were, uh, you know, re really diagram out the the change and the alteration of it. Um, and you know, I, I live up in in Sunnyside, just right north of Highlands, and it's just it's so many bad. Uh, townhomes going up and it and it's so it's so hard because you're all trying to maximize that volume and you you getting that same massing and then it's just slapping materials on and it's and they're selling for nine hundred thousand each right and, and it's kind of like what can we what can you do as an architect right where where you're you're in some ways priced out of the process with when you can have a contractor and a developer do it themselves and there and the demand is so high that that they're not asking for that quality you know i think your your product is interesting because it is kind of elevating that type yeah um, but how do you get into it more right uh, and yeah i think it's a response to that i mean i think there's a couple things driving that first you know the contractor let us know that he's getting feedback from people that they just want to know what he's got now like can i just buy a plan and have you build it um, and that's a, it's just an uninformed question and it's not the client's fault and it's not the contractor's fault. Um, but there's an opportunity there for, for architects to come in and, uh, and fill that gap. And I think, you know, you don't, that, that, what we recognize is a, a fallacy in the development mindset. I, you don't have to be hitting 80% of the market, 50% of the market even. I mean, I think we are aiming at five to 10%, if that. I mean, we just, we think that by, by being thoughtful, by being, you know, going through a true design process and, and being diagrammatic about everything, we're, we don't need to maximize the site. I mean, one of our, our favorite houses over in Sunnyside, it's a small house and it gets, it gets so much feedback from the neighborhood about, how how well it fits, how thoughtful it is, and it, you know, we didn't we didn't max it out. And I think developers and, and builders a lot of times think that those numbers um, have to have to hit that certain number, like beds and baths, square footage. Like we've got to hit those numbers so we can sell it for this amount. And unfortunately, there is some truth to that. But I also think that you've got clients out there 
that can afford to buy what they want to buy as opposed to, you know, just maxing out their, their mortgage. Um, <clears throat> and those are the ones that we're, we're aiming towards. And I think in, in doing that and, and creating a precedent for that, hopefully we can change the tide of what residential development looks like. I mean, that's a long shot, but you know. Yeah, yeah I like it. Um, so is there, is there a project that, that you guys think best kind of sums up Unum, like that, that you really nailed it, nailed it on all, on all levels? Oh, I don't know. We, we thought about this at lunch today too. I, I mean, the project types that we have been fortunate to do, you know, I mean, there's, let me just hit this, follow this string of conscious here. So, you know, when it comes to things like, like hospitality or restaurant design, I think so much of that is about the client. You know, there's so much of that, that, that has to be influenced from, you know, the vision, the brand, the, the experience that they're trying to create that, you know, we're, I, I look at us as, as more as interpreters and, and, and conduits, conduits for, for a lot of that. Yeah. So I think, you know, we don't, we don't necessarily have a, a theory or anything that we have to subscribe to in that. I think it's, it's, you know, for us, it's about, it's about what project best represents, you know, the client, what project best resolved these issues and did it in a thoughtful, provoking, inspiring way, you know, and some of that, I mean, I, I think we talk, I mean, I think Blanchard Family Wines is, is one that comes to mind mm -hmm. um, because for us, that one was, was, I think one of our earliest, biggest leaps yeah. uh, as far as, you know, design into, into construction and, um, you know, working with a, with such exposure on the dairy, it was, it's located on the dairy block, which, you know, has a hundred thousand visitors. Yeah. You know, a weekend. So yeah. Well, and that one was full of uh, opportunity um, just because obviously it's location, but um, the building type, the, or the, the business type rather, um, the building itself was a historic building um, and then the dairy block. And then we also had uh, it's, it's since changed uh, hands, but there's a retail space right above that on the Blake Street side. And in, in kind of playing off of the Dairy Block's aspirations of, of turning more of these spaces into pedestrian spaces, uh, we were able to connect those two, those two projects. Um, you know, there's, there was a staircase that connected it inside, which gave access from the retail space back to the Dairy Block, the, the alley side. And it also became sort of this beacon for people coming into the retail space for for Blanchard to, to kind of walk back there and see what was going on there. So um, in, in that sense, it was a, it was a design concept from a, really in a, in a section diagram uh, between Blake Street and the alley. Um, but yeah, and I think just to try to tie this back to the question a little bit about uh, capturing um, what we stand for as a company, I think that one was one where we we had the, the true opportunity to shine as, as architects in the sense that we could take a problem and examine it in, in architectural and, and conceptual ways uh, that really made a better space for, for a lot of different people involved between two business owners, the landlord, the, uh, and the public that experiences it. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things we kind of pride ourselves on is being 
adventure, just being able to explore some of these concepts further. And, and you know, we do a lot of mock-ups and we do a lot of self-performing of things. And uh, when it comes to stuff like that, that project, I think, you know, we knew going into the dairy block and the history of the dairy block that it, it had to be kind of special in a way. And I think, you know, we're, we, we, we're introducing this modern interjection, you know, this sort of tessellated form that carries down into the, into the wall. Um, and I think for us, it was about sort of exploring this tension of new and old. I think the entire process, project is sort of this, this tension of, of even though they're, they're steel and wood and more traditional materials, it's you know, sort of applied or, or um, addressed in a, in a more modern aesthetic. And that's something I think that we continue to evolve and have continued to evolve um, in a lot of our projects. And that, I mean, on that project specifically, tension's a good word for it because it was also, it was the new and old and it was the, you know, when we talk about winemaking, it's the science and the art form that are in tension with one another. And the, and the clients were brothers and, and they, one of them was an Air Force uh, helicopter pilot and the other one, um, he was the winemaker and, and more of the artist. So we got to sort of explore the personalities of the, the clients as well, which was, you know, it helped. Well, cool guys. You know, I, I've been like trying to connect with you for a while. You, you have this like nice energy around you and just excitement. And I think, you know, I probably shouldn't, but I always judge firms off of like, what kind of drawings they have on the websites, right? And and you guys are great. You got you you actually have diagrams and sections and and like details and 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 it's I can really see the kind of uh, striving and and meaning that you're you're putting in. And um, yeah, I'm I'm always excited to see what what you're going to do next. So thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thanks for having. Yeah, us. it's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this week's show. You can visit architecting.com, that's architect-ing.com, to see images from this week's guest. And please rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Have a great week and keep connecting. Well, it's funny because... Um, both Jim and I, we weren't sure how like how optic wise it would look if we were sitting here drinking whiskey out of a glass. So we, we put our our I, I had an Irish coffee here and he was having uh, great whiskey in his. So we, nice. we wanted to be professional, but you know. But you know, initially, because I was was going to start this before the pandemic, and it I was going to call it like nightcap with an architect or something and it was just going to be like a late night like drink and the first one with brian dale yeah we 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 started like nine o'clock and like had just had old fashions just pounded them and it was like we talked for two and a half hours and uh and and so yeah that that's what it was going to be but i find that like if i have like one beer it's hard to like focus it's hard to focus but you know when you when you have more than it it seems like you're better off. Yeah, but, it, starts, uh, it starts to flow. It's yeah, yeah, exactly. You might have to test your, your editing skills afterwards. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. I think one of the biggest things that's nerve wracking is having to talk about ourselves. And I know obviously that's the reason I have, you know, different people on is to get those stories. And I said at the top, like, that's what, that's what we enjoy listening to is understanding what other people's thought processes are and, and all that. But you know, we, we get into like random conversations here just about 
one statement that somebody says and we could like, you know, everybody kind of spins on it for, for a while. And it's like, you know, I think if you could capture that in a podcast and, and have sort of this back and forth and, you know, even you kind of jumping in with your opinion and, and adding fuel to the fire on everything, I think that could be really compelling, you know? Um, and I, I, I'm trying to remember what it was yesterday that Amir brought up. That he, he, oh, Amir can get things going. Get, oh, yeah. right? Like he goes on a tangent. I was talking about, oh, I was talking about how AI has infiltrated oh, yeah, all right. of our decisions. So yeah, I, I was, <laughs> I, I was listening to either a podcast or a book or something. And it was talking about how even our, our language now, you know, when you write an email and it finishes it for you, like mm. your, these algorithms and, and all of this technology, that's essentially just taking the thinking process out of the way. And that's, I've, I've noticed firsthand just because of how busy we are and how much, you know, our focus is just scattered on, on different projects and, you know, having to, to, to actually focus on a project at a time that, you know, when you hit these sort of easy, the easy button things, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult to pull out of that mindset. And so it was, it was that, and then it was rabbit yeah, hole into Revit. And yeah. Revit. And how yeah. Revit has, you know, between, between the plan and 2D and ortho drawings now into more of a, you know, three-dimensional drawing, uh, the modality of, of, of design and the modality of, of um, you know, construction communication. Yeah, that, that one spiraled. Uh, <laughs> but, and I had to cut it off because we, <laughs> well, yeah, we had, you know, we could sit there for three hours. But I was like, I would love to talk about yeah. AI taking our brains over, but I got to get this plumbing yeah. drawing done. Yeah. <laughs> It, so. it like it, it like changed right when you when you when you're seeing the billable hours kind of ticking and your yeah. that difference between being a firm owner and uh yeah employee. i mean we i one of the reasons i think one of the biggest reasons we're waiting for this pandemic to be over is just the culture of having those conversations and and having the platform for like just the serendipitous rabbit hole i we don't have that right now and there's there's absolute value in, in having those conversations and talking about, you know, what that means for design and the profession and, and, and how that even influences projects we're working on now. And well, even if only to make everybody more comfortable with debate, like talking yeah. to one another, mm -hmm. really sharing what you actually think and reacting what, to what other people actually think. I mean, I think that's really important. And I think, you know, you get a lot of that in school um, to some extent with your peers, but I think it's, you know, it's important to make sure that everybody feels comfortable to speak their mind. Um, I think you get the best design out of that. Especially when we're in the room. I think that's yeah. the other thing is, is making sure that everybody realizes they're not, we're not trying to steamroll, you know, ideas or steamroll, steamroll conversation. And Amir has been a huge, you know, because he's so academically focused and academic mindset, you know, coming from, I think he's been teaching for 10 years before, yeah. um, now jumping back into practice and his, you know, it's, it's funny to see, you know, I think he joined us in July and, and just, just the manner in which he approaches those projects or things that, you know, we all know from our education, but we haven't, you maybe just have that process didn't get lost or maybe it's not, it's not paid attention to or, or cultivated the way it should yeah. be. And he's really sort of brought that back into the, the conversation, which I think has been great. And, you know, especially with multiple people, and it's just Jim and I are in the early days, we can have those conversations. Right. And we did have those conversations. Now that we're, we're eight people and everybody's sort of, you know, 
branched out, it's 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 great to have more people having those conversations yeah. and bringing those those discussions forward. So he's been great, and I think you know I think he's he's paved the way for some of the others to to sure. also for sure join in in that con. Yeah. Yeah, like you're saying, like it's so it's so easy to kind of get in a rhythm with design, especially if you if you're kind of repeating the same typology, and maybe client, you know, where you just kind of take the easy route, and and that's that's why I like teaching too, because yeah, it makes me think, oh well, well yeah, what what is the threshold? What what where is the hierarchy? Where is the, what's the order? You know, um, uh, and bringing some of those things back up. Cause like you're saying, so it's kind of so easy to hit that easy button and do the thing you've done before or. Um, yeah. Or the Pinterest. <laughs> yeah. The Pinterest <laughs> button. Yeah. Board, you know, all of those. And that's, that's something we continue to fight. You know, I think um, because not only are we so visually focused now, we are so time focused, you know, everybody's, you know, our timelines are shorter and things are expected to happen quicker. And, you know, this, this industry and, and, just art in general or architecture in general is a long timeline, you know, process, not just, not just conception, but obviously construction and implementation. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's something that we, we fight with and we, you know, I, I, we do it internally all the time, just saying, Hey, you know, this isn't, it's not good enough to, to present. We're not there yet. You know, iterate again, iterate again. Um, and I think that's, that's important. I think that's something that, we can't be afraid to, to maybe ask for, you know, a day or two to, to wrap it up instead of having to present on the same day, you know, just because the deadline's there, it's not quite there yet. Right. So, um, and most of our clients have been not, not saying that we're late on deadlines, by the way, but I'm just saying, <laughs> on budget. Yeah. On time, on budget. <laughs> right. I'm right. Right. Saying, you know, most of our clients, I mean, this is, it's part of, you know, part of the onboarding education uh, or, or our responsibilities to educate the client on, you know, this takes time. Architecture's dirty. Construction's dirty. We need to kind of dive deeper into into creating something more meaningful, um, and that process involves you know involves iteration. It involves failure, and and you know, yeah. And perspective on that is always difficult to convey. I mean, people are worried about weeks at this point, and they're opening a, a place that's going to be open for five to 10 years, you know, before they do anything to it. It's like, it doesn't, you know, let's, let's get this right. Let's, let's make sure that this is exactly what we want this to be on opening day. So, yeah, I think residential clients are a little bit more um, conducive to that. Yeah, like they're, they're, sure. they, they recognize that. In fact, they're probably the ones, you know, second, third, fourth guessing, but um, <laughs> you know, that that's, yeah, it's all part of it. I ran across one of your presentations one time at our office for uh, a bigger multifamily. I forgot, it was like off of I-70. Uh, it was like, I think it was a kind of triangular lot. Oh, Buck Bucktail. I think maybe, yeah. yeah. So that is a very rough <laughs> yeah. last name. Yeah, I think we put that together in a week yeah. or less. Oh, but, you know, it's refreshing to see even just strong diagrams and good drawings yeah and, and i mean that that project is a typology we we haven't done right i mean that that was a, a 80 unit multifamily yeah. that um you know we we had a project this is one that that died because of the pandemic but 
this is 28 unit uh, in Rhino with, with um, you know, retail ground floor mixed use. And the, the developer on that one asked us, you know, as a leap, basically, hey, I like what you guys are doing here. What would you do on this one? And I mean, we admittedly were a little out of our element on yeah. that one. We lost, I think, to, we lost to Oz. Oz on that yeah. one. But I mean, even just the practice of doing that and putting those things together for us, just thinking of something outside of our comfort zone was, was yeah. exciting. Um, and who knows? I don't know if that's a typology we necessarily want to be doing, but it's, I think it's an interesting one though. And we actually, we have another one coming down the pike here in, in a similar typology. Um, yeah. A little bit more boutique than that one was, but um, I think it's an interesting thing. I think the mixed use in an urban setting, I think, uh, you know, that's, it's a really, it's relevant in, in the sense that it opens a lot of opportunities up for everybody. So. And I, I just love the idea of, you know, creating something that, that impacts the, the culture, the, the you know, the, the urban fabric more, yeah. more than anything we've done so far. You yeah. know, I think the houses, obviously there's, there's a contribution there to the neighborhood, but I think, you know, doing something on a larger scale and, and, you know, hopefully creating something that's going to last beyond us um, that is done well, that contributes to, to the streetscape and, and, you know, ages and, and has a memory. I think that's something that I'm, I'm interested in doing eventually, but yeah, for sure. Yeah. It has to be pretty different. That idea of with restaurant interiors, you can have such a high impact and high like com compression of design within such a small place yeah. And something that probably changes out every two or three years or whatever, uh, versus yeah, something that takes I, I two or three years to build, but yeah, it stays longer. Love um, an exhibition. Yeah, you know. it is. It is. It's sort of installation exhibition. You can be really aggressive, I yeah. think, on your designs, and um, it's what I've always sort of linked to the, this sort of testing ground, right? I mean, I think you can test ideas in that space. And then, you know, see how materiality or formal, um, you know, morphology starts to, to, to scale, right, into, into a larger project type. Um, I think, you know, Cholon was a good example of that. Mm -hmm. Cholon, we, we got asked to do the, uh, the ceiling renovation there for kind of their, their eight-year facelift. And they had, a, they had an issue with, you know, sound. It's, a, it's surrounded on glass with concrete top and bottom. And, you know, that space always reverberated. And, and for us, it was like, all right, how do we create something that is representative of them and, and who they are? And at the same time, you know, functional to, you know, cut, cut down on, on sound reverberation and, you know, lower the scale of the space and all of that. And, you know, we created this undulating net that when we did it, I mean, if you looked at the concept image, I think it's actually yeah. on the website, once they, so we, we presented three concepts and uh, once they selected that one, we were like, okay, how are we gonna <laughs> So, you know, we're testing out materials and breaking plywood, breaking PVC, um, you know, working on how we panelize it, how we hang it and ultimately landed on, on you know, this, um, this panelization of, of you know, warps, warp surfaces and it turned out really well, I think. Yeah. But that's that's one of those things that you could easily see that element now turning into wall panelization or turning into hmm. a skin system or, or something like that. And um, yeah. yeah, I mean, just sort of a, as a jumping point to the next. 
Yeah. So. Yeah, the restaurants, they're high function and, and high experience. So it's, it's super interesting to do them. That and you get to go see them. Yeah. That's the other, you get to go yeah. there again. I think that's, yeah. you know, some, we, we just had uh, Jim's birthday was last week and, and welcoming Ilion to the team. We went over to, to Northside, right? And I mean, one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet, the client over there, Kevin, uh, you know, greets us all out there, knows all of our name, all the team's names. Like he, it, it's just like going to somebody's house at that point, yeah. you know? And, and I think that's been a really welcoming sort of, or uh, tertiary uh, um, yeah. thing that happens that, that you're able to kind of go and experience and, and still relive that. And you also get to see what you need to fix next time and see the yeah. mistakes that nobody else sees, <laughs> but dwell and, on them. and you get good food you don't you don't get that as much i guess when you do somebody's house but that's true. yeah i mean you can drop by somebody's house but you can't force them to <laughs> leave pretty quickly those motion sensors are tough yeah but you know where they are so yeah, yeah. <laughs> i think you know when we talk about the easy button and we talk about some of these problems i think adam and i both have big eyes when it comes to what we think we can accomplish. And I, I think that that serves us well in the fact that like, you know, for lack of a better way to put it, we kind of intentionally paint ourselves into the corner sometimes and, and try to figure something out, like give ourselves a hard problem to solve. And even if it comes down to our own, uh, our own self-performing on some of this stuff, you know, I think we, we try to make sure that we are, we're pushing our own boundaries and, and the boundaries of, of architecture and construction in, and a lot of these have been TI based. I mean, Blanchard was one, figuring out how to build and hang those panels was something that we were very intimately involved in that. And, and from, even from a fabrication standpoint, um, Northside trying to figure out how to bend those pipes. That's and, the one I was going to say. Yeah. I mean, so Northside has, you know, 3000 linear feet of PVC and, you know, the, the, the concept there was to try to, you know, use a material that's fairly accessible and, and efficient and cheap and use it as an interesting way. And we kind of played with these trajectories and, you know, the texture that it creates. And, you know, that, that project has a, its own set of issues and problems um, during construction. But the, the, the one memory I'll always have is we're trying to figure out how to, how to bend these things. And, you know, you, you do the research on Google and, you know, people are heating up sand and trying to burn it. People are throwing, you know, hot water. And boil. so that's the one we tried to choose was uh, actually yeah. tried the sand and we tried boiling hot water. There's a scene, I think it's actually, we have a video of it somewhere where, and are, are you holding it? I, I think you're holding the PVC <laughs> and I've got a boiling pot of water. And he's got, you know, oven mitts basically holding this I've got a boiling pot of water to try to funnel into this PVC. And we get it in there and we're like, oh yeah, it should be complex. No, this thing just, one, it becomes a warp noodle right away. And then it just sort of holds on itself. And thankfully nobody ended up in the hospital. But I mean, those are the things where, you know, you hit the ticking clock, like, all right, we got to figure out a solution for this. We pitched it. So we got to... But we figured it out and yeah. we, we know the secret now, which we, we yeah. won't share. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have to go through our own uh, trial and error. I mean, but that's yeah. just cool. That, that idea of constantly pushing yourself. Right. And, and I feel like that's what restaurants could give you, you know, you, yeah. you can do it with anything, but with those kind of experiential spaces. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah and there's a, there's a value to that, that I think, you know, the client, a lot of our clients that come to us, I think recognize that that's, that's something that we try to present right away is, hey, you know, let's figure out where you can get the most bang for your buck. Where, what's your budget? What are you trying to accomplish? Where's your experience? Yeah, where's your high experience? Where do you want to create um, that experience? And, and where can we, where can we work within that? And I think, I think every one of our projects has that moment where you kind of see it and you kind of see it all kind of come together, whether it's Blanchard with the ceiling, we do a lot with the ceilings um, just because I think that's an underutilized space. Yeah. And I think it's, it's a pretty powerful space um, or the, the way it influences space, but yeah, I mean, that's, it's something that we try to identify early and, and uh, let that sort of lead the path to, to the rest of it. So, yeah. You're in modern in Denver now as a, as a sponsor. I think that's great. I think, um, you know, William, William has been a great advocate for us. And I think, you know, we, we did the Denver design week a couple of years ago, we spoke mm. about virtual reality, but I think, I think that's a great platform for you to kind of continue and grab some exposure there and, and, you know, lead a panel of, of different discussions there. So I think that would be awesome. Yeah. I, I think it's great what you're doing. I think, you know, we've been a part of a couple different podcasts and, um, you know, it's, it's necessary in Denver. I think that, you know, having these conversations about design, uh, I don't know. I don't know if maybe, maybe we're just blinders on it, but there's, I don't think there's enough of it. And I think, you know, being, having this platform that you're sort of just passively being, being a part of, I think has been great. Like for us to be a part of it. Yeah. Just, well, it feels kind of strange, right? It's like, we're, we're all sort of in silos, but we mostly know each other, but yeah. It's somehow, I don't know, like what you're saying, you know, about East Coast, if, if there's so much more to do here, right, you, you go into the mountains, you, you ski, you, 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 you work, and then you do those other things. And I feel like, you know, in, in New York, a little bit more, it's like, you're, you're, you're more, maybe yeah. more events and things, right, or, or something. Um, yeah, but, but yeah, it's, it's been fun. So thanks. Thanks for listening. Yeah, absolutely. Keep it up. This is Sarah Hubbard, host of You and Me Kid, a podcast about starting and raising a family on your own. We just launched season two, and I'm speaking with single moms, those still considering, and experts in relevant fields to give you a real sense of what the day-to-day experience of solo parenting looks and feels like. Plus, this season, I've partnered with California Cryobank, the number one sperm bank in the U.S. So wherever you are in the process, this podcast provides some support, humor, and helpful information. Listen to You and Me Kid wherever you get your podcasts.